0: Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part five of The Diabetes Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to actually treat type 2 diabetes. So before I begin, I wanted to say if you're enjoying this podcast, I would appreciate it if you left a review. And secondly, if there's any health or fitness related book that you want me to review and discuss, I, I will do it. All you have to do is send me a message or I'll I'll plug my Instagram in the episode description and you can send me a message and if there's really any health or fitness book that you want me to discuss, I will do it. So, let's begin part 5 of The Diabetes Code. And again, we're we're going to be discussing how to actually treat type 2 diabetes. So, Jason Fung starts out part 5 by talking about bariatric sur- surgery and lessons we can learn from bariatric surgery. So, we've known since 1992 that surgery Bariatric surgery can actually reverse type two diabetes, so this has been known for quite some time now. And we also know that the benefit of this surgery actually extends way beyond the actual body weight loss. Many of the metabolic abnormalities that happen when when we get when we are so obese, uh, they they begin to normalize as well. So, for example, we know that the sky high insulin levels begin to plummet. Our blood glucose also drops as well. So we're seeing a lot of these metabolic benefits of getting this surgery so what can we learn from this is that the the problem was not really the this 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 disease was not chronic and progressive Uh, we know this is reversible and the problem was that our treatment didn't really work in the first place and there may be some reasons why bariatric surgery is benefiting us and he goes into different hypotheses which were are proven false so he puts here most more importantly though we can derive all these amazing amazing benefits without surgery we only need to understand why surgery succeeds where other approaches fail and how we can duplicate its results so the first hypothesis about why surgery may be working is the foregut hypothesis so this is the idea that if we remove parts of the stomach this is the actual thing that is giving us all these benefits so we know the stomach secretes a bunch of hormones like incretins, pep peptide, YY, and ghrelin, and removing these stomachs reduces all these hormone levels. So, this kind of hypothesis fails to explain why type 2 diabetes recurs later on because we know that the stomach does, doesn't actually re- regenerate any ability to secrete the hormones once it's taken out. So, the foregone hypothesis doesn't explain why. Type 2 diabetes often recurs later on. Now, there's another hypothesis as well to try to explain why surgery works so well, and this is the fat mass hypothesis. So this hypothesis suggests that the the loss of fat tissue is actually leading to the beneficial effects. So we know that adipocytes do not just sit there. They are metabolically active. And one of the things that adipocytes actually do is convert testosterone into estrogen via the aromatase enzyme. And this can lead to gynecomastia in men in in obesity. So there's two problems with this fat mass hypothesis. The first one is that type 2 diabetes actually disappears within weeks of surgery, which is long before any substantial loss of fatty mass. So that's the first reason that this this fat mass hypothesis is wrong. The second reason is that liposuction, which is the removal of fat, it removes the fat, but it fails to actually prove provide any metabolic benefits like lowering of insulin and uh, improving of uh, a metabolic panel. So we know that neither the foregut hypothesis or fat mass hypothesis actually work or actually are the reasons why surgery is working for us. And he puts here that there is no real magic here. The mechanism of benefit is simple and obvious. All bariatric surgeries are effective because they create a sudden severe caloric reduction. So it's the sudden severe caloric reduction that's going on that is actually why these surgeries are benefiting from us. So remember with sudden severe caloric restriction, our body ends up depleting our liver glycogen storage for uh, in about 24 hours. So once that's gone, we begin to, our body will begin to burn fat for energy. So the body burns the fat from the liver and other organs preferentially because it's more accessible than the fat that's stored in their adipocytes. So again, it's this caloric restriction mechanism that is actually helping us reverse this type two diabetes in the surgery. So to read his quote here, he states that, the reason that sudden severe caloric restriction reverses type two diabetes is that it forces the body to burn the fat stores within the bloated livers and pancreas cells. The body simply burns off the excess sugar and fat that causes the type two diabetes and the disease goes into remission. So besides, this whole chapter was dedicated to surgery. So besides surgery, is there another way to burn off all this ectopic fat without the cost of of surgery and also the complications of surgery? And of course, there is. So that's when we move into the next chapter of dieting. So we'll all talk about dieting and carbohydrates and fats and uh, how dieting can also work. So... Remember that for the longest time, fat was the enemy and fat was kind of, uh, you know, public enemy number one. So he gives us this idea that we can actually eat healthy fats and preferentially we should be eating healthy fats. Now, why is fat useful in preventing and treating type 2 diabetes? Remember that out of the three macronutrients, which is the proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, dietary fat stimulates insulin the least And pure fats like butter and olive oil, they stimulate almost no insulin release. So replacing refined carbs with natural fats is a simple, natural method of reducing insulin. So this wasn't really until the mid-2000s where this nutritional landscape began began to change, the idea of fat not being bad for us. So again, fat hardly stimulates insulin at all, and we should be preferentially eating that and protein over these carbohydrates. And again, why should we reduce these refined carbohydrates? Well, remember that sugar and refined carbohydrates have a high glycemic load which raises blood glucose and the risk of type 2 diabetes. So, this also in turn significantly increases the risk of heart disease. So, if you if we look at a study that was done in 2013, there was a comprehensive study and there were specifically four main diets that were very superior when it when it came to re- reducing type 2 diabetes and Im- improving uh, insulin sensitivity, so this is the low carbohydrate diet, low glycemic index diet, Mediterranean diet, and high protein diet. So if you look at these four diets, they all share a common trait: they all reduce dietary carbohydrates to a varying degree, and lower lower carbohydrate diets have proven more effective at reducing body weight, waist size, and blood glucose now. When we talk about carbohydrates, we need to make a distinction between refined and unrefined carbohydrates. So not all carbohydrates are, complete, are treated equally. Uh, we know that unrefined carbohydrates like potatoes and fruits and vegetables are way better than us than the refined carbohydrates like flour and uh, sugars. And the reason is that refined carbohydrates increase blood glucose higher and faster than unrefined ones. So again, we, we need to make this distinction. And if you listen to Mark Hyman, you know he, he makes one, one kind of cynical uh, point, cynical joke where he's stating that carbohydrates are actually the best foods for us. And he's saying that really because vegetables and other, uh, other, other plants are, are full of carbohydrates, but the good kind, not these, not these uh, refined carbohydrates. So let's again make that distinction between refined and unrefined carbohydrates. And he uses this example, Jason Fung uses this example of the native diet of Kitava, which is a small island off of New Guinea. Their diet consists of 69% carbohydrates, but most of these carbohydrates are from sweet potatoes, cassava, yam, coconut, and fruits, but their average insulin level is very low. So this kind of goes to show that you can eat your carbohydrates if you get them from the right sources, and again, we should preferentially preferentially be having fat and proteins over these over these carbohydrates So we're gonna move forward and Give three rules for reversing type 2 diabetes so I'm not gonna spend too much time here because a lot of this stuff he puts here in these three rules He stated before for example rule number one avoid fructose. This is obvious. We know that fructose can only be metabolized by the liver And it also increases our de novo lipogenesis by fivefold. So avoid fructose. This is obvious. The second point is also obvious. Reduce refined carbohydrates and enjoy natural fats. Um, For the reasons I just gave about carbohydrates increasing the glycemic load more than all other foods. And the third rule is to eat real food. So if the food you are eating looks like it does when you see it in nature, it is probably good for you. So he states, here, he states here that after all, you don't pick dinner rolls from the trees and you don't grow bottles of vegetable oil. So if the food looks like it does in nature, then it's probably good for you. And the fourth and final rule he puts here, in case the first three aren't enough, the fourth rule is the power of fasting. So we kind of go into fasting and all its benefits. So he has a whole chapter on intermittent, on intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting prevents the development of insulin resistance by creating extended periods of low insulin that maintain the body's sensitivity to insulin. So remember, if we keep pounding our insulin receptors, they're going to become unresponsive. And remember that exposure creates resistance. So remember, when we eat food, we are releasing insulin. So if we're not exposing ourselves to food, we're not going to be secreting insulin and we're going to keep insulin receptors more sensitive in the body. So this is really the key to reversing pre-diabetes as well as type 2 diabetes. And to go more into fasting, a recent 32-week trial compared the portion control strategy directed with intermittent fasting in obese adults. So the the caloric reduction strategy was designed to subtract 400 calories per day from the estimated energy requirements of participants. Now the fasting group ate normally on eating days, but ate zero calories every other day. So this is the alternate day fasting. So, we're comparing a group of individuals who are calorically restricting and a group of individuals who are pure fasting every other day. Now, the most important conclusion of this 32-week trial was that fasting was safe and effective was a safe and effective therapy that anyone could reasonably follow. Now, secondly, the fasting group not only lost more weight but also twice as much of the more dangerous visceral fat. So, we know visceral adiposity is inflammatory, and it's creating this insulin resistance. Now, the portion control group lost lean mass in addition to fat, but the fasting group did not. So I'm going to state that again. The portion control group lost lean mass in addition to fat, but the fasting group did not. Lean mass percentage increased by 2.2% with fasting compared to only 0.5% with the portion control group. So he kind of dispels two common myths in in fasting the first the first myth is that we're going to be losing lean mass when we fast completely so that that is a myth and the second myth is that if we fast for these extended periods of time let's say like 24 or 48 hours that our basal metabolic rate will actually slow down so this is this is not true um it's really what what we see is that if we calorically restrict yes our basal metabolic rate will go down but if we fast completely then our, mas- our basal metabolic rate actually does not drop at all, and it'll actually increase. So fasting triggers numerous hormonal adaptations that do not happen with simple caloric reduction. He states here that insulin drops sharply, preventing insulin resistance, and nor- an- noradrenaline rises, keeping basal metabol- metabolism high. Growth hormone also rises, which helps us maintain lean mass. So we see here, That we have a bunch of counter-regulatory mechanisms in our body that help us keep our basal metabolic rate high now you may be thinking why why does fasting work why does fasting keep our basal metabolic high Well, this counter-regulatory mechanism and think back to the stone age like it's a it's basically a survival mechanism so during fasting the body opens up its ample supply of stored food which is essentially our body fat so the basal metabolism stays high and instead of using food as our fuel, we use food. Uh, we 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 use food our bodies have stored as body fat. So after all, that's really why we have stored fat in the first place as a storage for energy. And again, think back to to the Stone Age when we're hunting woolly mammoths. We, m- mammoths. We want our we want our metabolism to be you know, efficient and high. So we use our stored fat as fuel. So again, those two myths I wanted to dispel. You're not losing a lot of lean mass because of the growth hormone, and you're not, uh, you're not decreasing your basal metabolic rate because, well, we st- we're still using our stored fat, and we're also secreting cortisol as well as uh, nor- noradrenaline to keep our basal metabolic rate high. So which, we know that reducing calories is good for us. We know that fasting is good for us. Which one is better? So both in- intermittent fasting and low-carbohydrate healthy fat diets reduce insulin. But of course, fasting lowers insulin maximally, so it's quite simply the quickest and most most efficient method to to do so. So, he puts here, still the very low-carb diet does remarkably well, giving you 71% of the benefits of fasting without actually fasting. So, fasting is better, this is is pretty trivial. Nothing beats fasting for bringing down insulin, but we also know that you can incorporate a low-carbohydrate diet if you don't want to do these fasts um and you can even do both you can fast as well as do low carbohydrate diet for maximal maximal benefit so moving forward we talk about the fasting the different fasting for type 2 diabetes so for example like how fasting and medications work the different types of the different types of fast and the best one to do and also what to expect so there's a lot of different fasting regimens out there One of them I mentioned already, the alternate day fasting, where you feast one day and then the next day you're fasting. There's also the uh, Dr. Walter Longo's fasting mimicking diet as well. And there's also these 16-8 fasts, which is common, and then these these longer fasts, which also have proven benefits. So really, he states here that you want to do the one that works for you. So you may be feeling uh, a little fatigue and some muscle cramps, maybe some irritability, from this toxic dumping of uh uh, this this dumping of toxins in our body when we begin to fast so really these headaches and these muscle cramps are side effects of the body dumping its sugar you know toxic sugar load so uh this is you know this is common when we fast but you end up getting used to it after a while and another thing to expect is something called the dawn phenomenon so i wanted to talk about this a little bit so The dawn phenomenon is the idea that after a period of fasting, and especially in the morning, some people actually have high blood glucose. So this is what is known as the dawn phenomenon, and it was first described about 30 years ago. And remember that before you wake up, remember that we run on a circadian rhythm. I did a whole podcast on the circadian code by Dr. Talking Panda, and we know that our body runs on a circadian rhythm. So a few hours before we're going to wake up, We know that our body ends up secreting high amounts of adrenaline, growth hormone, glucagon, and cortisol to prepare us for the upcoming day. So to actually wake us up in the morning, we have the spike of cortisol and spike of growth hormone and adrenaline to help us prepare for the day. And uh, this this is is why our blood glucose is actually high, because all these factors I just listed, the glucagon, the epinephrine, the cortisol... These are all positive regulators for gluconeogenesis, which is the breakdown of, and you're using um, non-carbohydrate sources to make glucose in the morning. So, I just wanted to point out this dawn phenomenon. It's not bad for us. It's just showing us that we're moving the sugar from storage in our liver to where we can see it in our blood, and it's really a normal occurrence. So, this is nothing you should be worrying about if you're checking your, if you're checking your sugar in the morning. So that is the dawn phenomenon. And finally, he ends off this section with uh, uh, a a brief note stating, uh, reversing and preventing type 2 diabetes naturally, a brave new world. So obesity, fatty liver, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes are essentially the the 21st century equivalents of the bubonic plague that killed an estimated 50 million people in Asia, Europe, Africa during the 14th century. So this uh, these metabolic problems fatty liver obesity this is the the modern day uh, bu- bubonic plague. And essentially it's time for us to stop pretending that type 2 diabetes is this chronic and progressive disease and it's also time to stop treating it this way. So we know that we can treat type 2 diabetes and it is reversible by these mechanisms I just missed it, I just listed the bar- the surgery which we don't have to get. Also, the fasting and very low-carbohydrate diets. And what do all these cures have in common? Well, they lower insulin. So we know that insulin is kind of this culprit, and if we can lower insulin, we can lower our blood glucose. And we know this insulin, um, uh, once we begin to lower it, they become more sensitive, and we begin to lose fat. So um, this is what's going on here. This is the cure. What is not the cure? Insulin, not the cure. Drugs, not the cure. Low-fat diets, not the cure. So, that's his, that's his statement here, and this is really the end of The Diabetes Code, and overall, I absolutely love this book, and I love Jason Fung as well. I think he's one of the few doctors out there who actually understands it, and he knows that, so so like today, so many people are treating the symptoms and not the cause, so... We're treating the high hyperglycemia, which is a symptom of diabetes, not the actual cause. And uh, again, I highly recommend this book. He's, again, one of the few doctors that actually understands it. This book is a very easy read. It's a little over 200 pages, and it was laid out very nicely. It had good explanations, good analogies, and a, a quick word about insulin he kind of pegs insulin as this root of all evil, but remember that, and, and, and right, right, rightfully so, like we know insulin, as mentioned before in the previous podcast, that it can lead to obesity, it can lead to insulin resistance, it can lead to atherosclerosis, which essentially is, you know, all cause mortality. Uh, but we can't live without insulin. So although it may be, uh, you know, although it may be beneficial for us to have lower insulin, Uh, We can't live without it, so uh, just remember that point, and um, that's the end of the book, really. Uh, It has over 400 cited uh, papers, this book does, and uh, if you want to learn more about Jason Fung, you can watch videos of him on YouTube. And that's the end for The The Diabetes Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Again, if there's another book that you want me to review, uh, send me a DM, and I'll definitely review it. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I hope you turn in again.